This month is a continuation of last month's ghost stories. Late November ghost stories here on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. This episode is brought to you by The Shrink Next Door on Apple TV, a 2021 drama inspired by the true story of Marty and the therapist who turned his life around, then took it over. When he first meets Dr. Ike, Marty just wants to get better at boundaries. Over 30 years, he'll learn all about them and what happens when they get crossed. Check out The Shrink Next Door, only on Apple TV. Check us out on Facebook.com and check the show notes for the sponsors who help keep us on air and find out how you can help. And also check out Taza Chocolates Holiday Stuff. They've got all kinds of stuff. Hey, guess what? Here's the show. Here we go. Story of the Vanishing Patient There had always been strange stories about the house, but it was a sensible, comfortable sort of a neighborhood, and people took pains to say to one another that there was nothing in these tales. Of course not. Absolutely nothing. How could there be? It was a matter of common remark, however, that, considering the amount of money the Nethertons had spent on the place, it was curious they lived there so little. They were nearly always away, up north in the summer and down south in the winter, and over to Paris or London now and then, and when they did come home it was only to entertain a number of guests from the city. The place was either plunged in gloom or gaiety. The old gardener, who kept house by himself in the cottage at the back of the yard, had things much his own way by far the greater part of the time. Dr. Block and his wife lived next door to the Nethertons, and he and his wife, who were so absurd as to be very happy in each other's company, had the benefit of the beautiful yard. They walked there mornings when the leaves were silvered with dew, and evenings they sat beside the lily pond and listened for the whippoorwill. The doctor's wife moved her room over to that side of the house, which commanded a view of the yard, and thus made the honeysuckles and laurel and clematis and all the masses of tossing greenery her own. Sitting there day after day with her sewing, she speculated about the mystery which hung impalpably yet undeniably over the house. It happened one night when she and her husband had gone to their room and were congratulating themselves on the fact that he had no very sick patients and was likely to enjoy a good night's rest that a ring came at the door. If it's anyone wanting you to leave home, warned his wife, you must tell them you are all worn out. You've been disturbed every night this week and it's too much. The young physician went downstairs. At the door stood a man whom he had never seen before. "'My wife is lying very ill next door,' said the stranger. "'So ill that I fear she will not live till morning. "'Will you please come to her at once?' "'Next door,' cried the physician. "'I didn't know the Nethertons were home.' "'Please hasten,' begged the man. "'I must go back to her. "'Follow as quickly as you can.' "'The doctor went back upstairs to complete his toilet. "'How absurd!' protested his wife when she heard the story. "'There is no one at the Nethertons. "'I sit where I can see the front door, "'and no one can enter without my knowing it, "'and I have been sewing by the window all day. "'If there were anyone in the house, "'the gardener would have the porch lantern lighted. "'It is some plot. "'Someone has designs on you. "'You must not go.' "'But he went. "'As he left the room, "'his wife placed a revolver in his pocket.' The great porch of the mansion was dark, but the physician made out that the door was open, and he entered. 
A feeble light came from the bronze lamp at the turn of the stairs, and by it he found his way, his feet sinking noiselessly in the rich carpets. At the head of the stairs the man met him. The doctor thought himself a tall man, but the stranger topped him by half a head. He motioned the physician to follow him, and the two went down the hall to the front room. The place was flushed with a rose-colored glow from several lamps. On a silken couch in the midst of pillows lay a woman dying with consumption. She was like a lily, white, shapely, graceful, with feeble yet charming movements. She looked at the doctor appealingly. Then, seeing in his eyes the involuntary verdict that her hour was at hand, she turned toward her companion with a glance of anguish. Dr. Block asked a few questions— The man answered them, the woman remaining silent. The physician administered something stimulating, and then wrote a prescription, which he placed on the mantel shelf. The drugstore is closed tonight, he said, and I fear the druggist has gone home. You can have the prescription filled the first thing in the morning, and I will be over before breakfast. After that, there was no reason why he should not have gone home. Yet, oddly enough, he preferred to stay. Nor was it professional anxiety that prompted this delay. He longed to watch those mysterious persons who, almost oblivious of his presence, were speaking their mortal farewells in their glances, which were impassioned and of unutterable sadness. He sat as if fascinated. He watched the glitter of rings on the woman's long white hands. He noted the waving of light hair about her temples. He observed the details of her gown of soft white silk, which fell about her in voluminous folds. Now and then the man gave her of the stimulant which the doctor had provided. Sometimes he bathed her face with water. Once he paced the floor for a moment till a motion of her hand quieted him. After a time, feeling that it would be more sensible and considerate of him to leave, the doctor made his way home. His wife was awake, impatient to hear of his experiences. She listened to his tale in silence, and when he had finished, she turned her face to the wall and made no comment. "'You seem to be ill, my dear,' he said. "'You have a chill. You are shivering.' "'I have no chill,' she replied sharply. "'But I—well, you may leave the light burning.' The next morning, before breakfast, the doctor crossed the dewy sward to the Netherton house. The front door was locked, and no one answered to his repeated ringings. The old gardener chanced to be cutting the grass near at hand, and he came running up. "'What you ringing that doorbell for, doctor?' said he. "'The folks ain't come home yet. There ain't nobody there.' "'Yes, there is, Jim. I was called here last night. "'A man came for me to attend his wife. "'They must both have fallen asleep that the bell is not answered. "'I wouldn't be surprised to find her dead, as a matter of fact. "'She was a desperately sick woman. "'Perhaps she is dead and something has happened to him. "'You have the key to the door, Jim. Let me in.' But the old man was shaking in every limb and refused to do as he was bid. "'Don't you never go in there, doctor,' whispered he with chattering teeth. "'Don't you go for to tend no one. You just come tell me when you sent for that way.' "'No, I ain't going in, doctor, no how. It ain't part of my duties to go in. That's been stipulated by Mr. Netherton. It's my business to look after the garden.' Argument was useless. Dr. Block took the bunch of keys from the old man's pocket and himself unlocked the front door and entered." He mounted the steps and made his way to the upper room. There was no evidence of occupancy. The place was silent, and so far as living creature went, vacant. The dust lay over everything. It covered the delicate damask of the sofa where he had seen the dying woman. It rested on the pillows. 
The place smelled musty and evil, as if it had not been used for a long time. The lamps of the room held not a drop of oil, but on the mantel shelf was the prescription which the doctor had written the night before. He read it, folded it, and put it in his pocket. As he locked the outside door, the old gardener came running to him. Don't you never go up there again, will you? he pleaded. Not unless you see all the Netherton's home and I come for you myself. You won't, doctor? No, said the doctor. When he told his wife, she kissed him and said, Next time when I tell you to stay at home, you must stay. End of Story of the Vanishing Patient by Elia Wilkinson Petey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. The White Dog Everything grew irksome for Alexandra Ivanovna in the workshop of this out-of-the-way town. The patterns, the clatter of machines, the complaints of the customers. It was the shop in which she had served as apprentice, and now for several years as cutter. Everything irritated Alexandra Ivanovna. She quarreled with everyone and abused the innocent apprentice. Among others to suffer from her outbursts of temper was Tanechka, the youngest of the seamstresses, who only lately had been an apprentice. In the beginning, Tanechka submitted to her abuse in silence. In the end, she revolted and, addressing herself to her assailant, said quite calmly and affably, so that everyone laughed, Alexandra Ivanovna, you are a downright dog. Alexandra Ivanovna felt humiliated. You are a dog yourself, she exclaimed. Tanechka sat there sewing. She paused now and then from her work and said in a calm, deliberate manner, You always whine. Certainly you are a dog. You have a dog's snout and a dog's ears and a wagging tail. The mistress will soon drive you out of doors because you are the most detestable of dogs, a poodle. Tanechka was a young, plump, rosy-cheeked girl with an innocent, good-natured face, which revealed, however, a trace of cunning. She sat there so demure, barefooted, still dressed in her apprentice clothes. Her eyes were clear, and her brows were highly arched on her fine, curved, white forehead, framed by straight, dark chestnut hair, which in the distance looked black. Tanechka's voice was clear, even, sweet, insinuating, and if one could have heard its sound only and not given heed to the words, it would have given the impression that she was paying Alexandra Ivanovna compliments. The other seamstresses laughed, the apprentices chuckled, they covered their faces with their black aprons and cast side glances at Alexandra Ivanovna. As for Alexandra Ivanovna, she was livid with rage. 
Wretch, she exclaimed, I will pull your ears for you. I won't leave a hair on your head. Tanechka replied in a gentle voice, The paws are a trifle short. The poodle bites as well as barks. It may be necessary to buy a muzzle. Alexandra Ivanovna made a movement toward Tanechka, but before Tanechka had time to lay aside her work and get up, the mistress of the establishment, a large, serious-looking woman, entered rustling her dress. She said sternly, Alexandra Ivanovna, what do you mean by making such a fuss? Alexandra Ivanovna, much agitated, replied, Irina Petrovna, I wish you would forbid her to call me a dog. Tanechka, in her turn, complained, She is always snarling at something or other, always quibbling at the smallest trifles. But the mistress looked at her sternly and said, Tanechka, I can see through you. Are you sure you didn't begin? You needn't think that because you are a seamstress now you are an important person. If it weren't for your mother's sake, Tanechka grew red but preserved her innocent and affable manner. She addressed her mistress in a subdued voice. Forgive me, Irina Petrovna. I will not do it again, but it wasn't altogether my fault. Alexandra Ivanovna returned home almost ill with rage. Tanechka had guessed her weakness. A dog. Well, then I am a dog, thought Alexandra Ivanovna, but it is none of her affair. Have I looked to see whether she is a serpent or a fox? It is easy to find one out, but why make a fuss about it? Is a dog worse than any other animal? The clear summer night languished inside. A soft breeze from the adjacent fields occasionally blew down the peaceful streets. The moon rose clear and full, that very same moon which rose long ago at another place, over the broad desolate steppe, the home of the wild, of those who ran free and whined in their ancient earthly travail, the very same as then and in that region. And now, as then, glowed eyes sick with longing, and her heart, still wild, not forgetting in town the great spaciousness of the steppe, felt oppressed. Her throat was troubled with a tormenting desire to howl like a wild thing. She was about to undress, but what was the use? She could not sleep anyway. She went into the passage. The warm planks of the floor bent and creaked under her, and small shavings and sand which covered them tickled her feet not unpleasantly. She went out on the doorstep. There sat the babushka Stepanida, a black figure in her black shawl, gaunt and shriveled. She sat with her head bent, and it seemed as though she were warming herself in the rays of the cold moon. Alexandra Ivanovna sat down beside her. She kept looking at the old woman sideways. The large curved nose of her companion seemed to her like the beak of an old bird. A crow, Alexandra Ivanovna asked herself. She smiled, forgetting for the moment her longing and her fears. Shrewd as the eyes of a dog, her own lighted up with the joy of her discovery. In the pale green light of the moon, the wrinkles of her faded face became altogether invisible, and she seemed once more young and merry and light-hearted, just as she was ten years ago, when the moon had not yet called upon her to bark and bay of nights before the windows of the dark bathhouse. She moved closer to the old woman and said affably, Babushka Stepanida, there's something I have been wanting to ask you. The old woman turned to her, her dark face furrowed with wrinkles, and asked in a sharp, oldish voice that sounded like a call, Well, my dear, go ahead and ask. 
Alexandra Ivanovna gave a repressed laugh. Her thin shoulders suddenly trembled from a chill that ran down her spine. She spoke very quietly. Babushka Stepanida, it seems to me, tell me, is it true? I don't know how exactly to put it, but you, Babushka, please don't take offense. It is not from malice that I... Go on, my dear. Never fear. Say it, said the old woman. She looked at Alexandra Ivanovna with glowing, penetrating eyes. It seems to me, Babushka, please now, don't take offense, as though you, Babushka, were a crow. The old woman turned away. She was silent and merely nodded her head. She had the appearance of one who had recalled something. Her head, with its sharply outlined nose, bowed and nodded, and at last it seemed to Alexandra Ivanovna that the old woman was dozing, dozing and mumbling something under her nose, nodding her head and mumbling some old forgotten words, old magic words. An intense quiet reigned out of doors. It was neither light nor dark, and everything seemed bewitched with the inarticulate mumbling of old forgotten words. Everything languished and seemed lost in apathy. Again a longing oppressed her heart, and it was neither a dream nor an illusion. A thousand perfumes, imperceptible by day, became subtly distinguishable, and they recalled something ancient and primitive, something forgotten in the long ages. In a barely audible voice, the old woman mumbled, Yes, I am a crow, only I have no wings. But there are times when I call, and I call, and tell of woe, and I am given to forebodings, my dear. Each time I have one, I simply must call. People are not particularly anxious to hear me. And when I see a doomed person, I have such a strong desire to call. The old woman suddenly made a sweeping movement with her arms and in a shrill voice cried out twice, Car! Car! Alexandra Ivanovna shuddered and asked Babushka, At whom are you calling? The old woman answered, At you, my dear, at you. It had become too painful to sit with the old woman any longer. Alexandra Ivanovna went to her own room. She sat down before the open window and listened to two voices at the gate. It simply won't stop whining, said a low and harsh voice. And uncle, did you see? asked an agreeably young tenor. Alexandra Ivanovna recognized in this last the voice of the curly-headed, somewhat red, freckled-faced lad who lived in the same court. A brief and depressing silence followed. Then she heard a hoarse and harsh voice say suddenly, Yes, I saw. It's very large and white, lies near the bathhouse, and bays at the moon. The voice gave her an image of the man, of his shovel-shaped beard, his low, furrowed forehead, his small, piggish eyes, and his spread-out fat legs. "'And why does it bay, uncle?' asked the agreeable voice. And again the hoarse voice did not reply at once. "'Certainly to no good purpose, and where it came from is more than I can say.' "'Do you think, uncle, it may be a werewolf?' asked the agreeable voice." I should not advise you to investigate, replied the hoarse voice. She could not quite understand what these words implied, nor did she wish to think of them. She did not feel inclined to listen further. 
What was the sound and significance of human words to her? The moon looked straight into her face and persistently called her and tormented her. Her heart was restless with a dark longing, and she could not sit still. Alexandra Ivanovna quickly undressed herself. Naked, all white, she silently stole through the passage. She then opened the outer door. There was no one on the step or outside, and ran quickly across the court and the vegetable garden and reached the bathhouse. The sharp contact of her body with the cold air and her feet with the cold ground gave her pleasure. But soon her body was warm. She lay down in the grass on her stomach. Then, raising herself on her elbows, she lifted her face toward the pale brooding moon and gave a long, drawn-out whine. Listen, uncle, it is whining, said the curly-haired lad at the gate. The agreeable tenor voice trembled perceptibly. Whining again, the accursed one, said the hoarse, harsh voice slowly. They rose from the bench. The gate latch clicked. They went silently across the courtyard and the vegetable garden, the two of them. The old man, black-bearded and powerful, walked in front, a gun in his hand. The curly-headed lad followed tremblingly and looked constantly behind. Near the bathhouse, in the grass, lay a huge white dog, whining piteously. Its head, black on the crown, was raised to the moon, which pursued its way in the cold sky. Its hind legs were strangely thrown back, while the front ones, firm and straight, pressed hard against the ground. In the pale green and unreal light of the moon, it seemed enormous. So huge a dog was surely never seen on earth. It was thick and fat, the black spot which began at the head and stretched in uneven strands down the entire spine seemed like a woman's loosened hair. No tail was visible. Presumably, it was turned under. The fur on the body was so short that in the distance the dog seemed wholly naked and its hide shone dimly in the moonlight so that altogether it resembled the body of a nude woman who lay in the grass and bayed at the moon. The man with the black beard took aim. The curly-haired lad crossed himself and mumbled something. The discharge of a rifle sounded in the night air. The dog gave a groan, jumped up on its hind legs, became a naked woman who, her body covered with blood, started to run, all the while groaning, weeping, and raising cries of distress. The black-bearded one and the curly-haired one threw themselves in the grass and began to moan in wild terror. End of The White Dog by Fyodor Sologub, translated by John Kurnos. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hey everyone, it's me, Amy. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the show. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shirts in there.